This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. And so uh, open up your Bibles to, to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. First four chapters, uh, Paul wrote about what the gospel is. That's not simply about having faith in Jesus, but knowing what he has done so that you would actually understand the gospel. So the first four chapters is about what the gospel is. And starting in chapter 5, it's what the gospel does. That when you understand the gospel, though it's free for us as we understand it, it does work itself out in our lives. And so we are in Galatians 5, continuing on with understanding what the gospel does to us. We read uh, part, portions of this last week, but I wanted to uh, read it again and then go into the next section. So Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The the, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the Spirit, works of the flesh, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. Uh, have you ever uh, tried to explain to someone what something tastes like? If you've never, uh, ha- if the other person's never had anything like it, you'll find it to be fairly difficult. Uh, do you know what this fruit is up here? It's called uh, rambutan. Who's had it? Who's had it? Right? So, so for those of us uh, who have uh, left uh, the West... Um, and gone to maybe Southeast Asia, that's where at least I've had it. I remember the first time seeing this strange creature. Thinking, what is this? How in the world do people eat it, and how come I've never seen it? And so uh, our missions team was telling me about what it tastes like. It tastes like lychee. I'm thinking, I don't know if I've ever had lychee. And so they're trying to explain to me what lychee tastes like. And... They couldn't. That's the idea of what I think Paul is doing here. He's talked about, described what freedom is, 
But in these verses, what we see is what it tastes like. You can describe all that you want about what certain foods taste like, but until you taste it, can you actually understand, oh, that's what orangutan is, that's what lychee is. Oh, this is what freedom is. He's described freedom as being free from the power of sin, that the power of sin is a real thing that you struggle with. And so what Paul writes in these verses is there's things that you want to do that you don't do, and there's things that you don't want to do that you do, that these rival desires in our hearts. So he talks about the, the freedom from the power of sin. That's what the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. But also the freedom from the conscience, from the condemnation of sin. So even now, we struggle in this uh, this warfare with, with sin, it's a real thing. We're free from the power of it legitimately, but not fully. So here on this lifetime before heaven, we struggle with sin. But in this, as we struggle with sin, that we're freed from it, not yet fully, you will struggle. And in, when you, in your struggling, in your failure, what what Paul wants you to know that you're free from the condemnation of sin. And so if you don't know what that's like, then you can try to describe it. And that's what Paul has done. He's described it, and then here, with the fruit of the Spirit, it's showing you this is what it tastes like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? All these aspects, we've all tasted some of this in our life. And the idea is, once you know what freedom is, this is what you taste. This is now your life. Because Paul has gone on talking about how you can think you're free, but you're actually not. You're still a slave, either to the law or to sin. And so here, what we see is, this is what freedom tastes like. And so as we can you know, with different people within church or outside of church, discuss what is freedom, what Paul is going to do here, and what I want to do here, is I actually explain to you, this is what freedom tastes like. Can we all agree, isn't this what we all want, a life of love, peace, patience? Isn't this what we want? This is freedom. And so what we're going to do is, if this is freedom, work backwards to think about, okay, if this is freedom, then what is not freedom? Freedom is not follow your heart. So tell your neighbor, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Freedom is not following your heart. So in these verses, look with me in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not, what, gratify the desires. So these desires are still here. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So these two opposing desires, the desires of the Spirit, are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So the idea is, if you simply followed your heart, you would be a schizophrenic, right? You would be at one point saying, I love Jesus, and the next thing you know, on Monday, you're doing things that you're so ashamed to talk about. So the idea of following your heart, which is what we often think, freedom is doing the thing that I want to do. What Paul is saying is that is not freedom. 
If you simply do the things that you want to do, you will never truly understand what love is, what joy is, what peace, what patience. That's what he's saying. That's what it tastes like. So if we, if we, if we can all agree, that's what freedom tastes like. This is what freedom is. This is what we all want. What then Paul is saying is if you live this life, you don't get the fruit of it. And then he goes into what uh, he goes into then the works of the flesh in verse 19 sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. And if I can categorize just basically some of these things as Pastor did last week, right? The idea of sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, if you simply live that life, it may be pleasurable for a moment, but there's a reason people don't live a full lifestyle like this for their whole lives. Because what it means, it's sex without relationships, sex without, without love, which ultimately leads to emptiness, which is opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And then you look at the other aspect of enmity, strife, jealousy. What are all these? It's all relational components that have been broken down. So what it's saying here is you can have sex without fulfillment, without love. You can have a community that's broken, ultimately being alone. And then drunkenness and orgies. Orgies probably referring to drinking parties. The idea is it's this life that you're trying to medicate yourself with. It's just the thing that you do is you drink. You don't just drink alcohol on a date or on a, celeb- a night to celebrate, but this is your life. And if we, uh, if we know anyone that struggles with drinking, you recognize that they want to leave that, but there's something that soothes them in, in this idea of medicating yourself. And what Paul is saying is that's not what freedom is. To simply do the things that you want to do will actually lead you to misery, to emptiness, to loneliness, to strife, to to envy, all of these things. We know this because songs are written about it. Uh, There's a well-known song. uh, And she writes this song uh, that all of us know, an intense inner turmoil. It's a song that's spoken specifically to the younger generation. And what Elsa writes about is this. The wind is howling like there's swirling storm inside. We can resonate with that. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl you've always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know. What's she saying? She's basically saying, be the good girl. Do the right things. So what did she say? Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it in anymore. Let it go. Let it go. She's an inner turmoil. Can't you see? She's been in conflict. She's just saying, let it go. I just want to do what my heart wants. I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to be. She continues to write. And funny, it's funny how some, dist- how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. And then these are the words. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. 
And Paul would say, oh, you got it so wrong, girl. You so, so don't know what the gospel is. But this is what we are told over and over and over. Follow your heart. Trust the desires of your heart. And what Paul is saying is when you trust the desires of your heart, what it will lead to is sensuality. What it will lead to is even idolatry, sorcery, this desire for a higher power. Right? When you start to live in this way, you start to have dissension, envy, jealousy, rivalries. Saying, is that what you want? If you follow your heart, that is what you get. So freedom is not follow your heart. So from the opposite side of that, if you've tried to follow your heart and you recognize it falls short, you'll then start to what? Follow the rules. So freedom is not follow the rules. Tell your neighbor, freedom is not follow the rules. I can like really hear you. (laughs) This is great. We've all had moments of this, whether it's on a spiritual level or whether it's on a personal level. Because if you'd followed your heart, you've had lazy Sundays. If you had, if you followed your heart, you've lived an undisciplined life. You've played games all day. You've wasted your time. You don't know how to do the hard things in life. And if you learn to do the hard things, you can't actually stop and pause for the important things. So you start to recognize the heart is this, 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 this control center of your life filled with desire. And so once you start to to recognize, when you 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 unleash that, you realize the misery that comes with it. And so what you start to do is then want to live a life of rules. But Paul says in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you're you're not under the law. And this was to the people who were abiding by the Mosaic law, the law of the Old Testament, the best law. He's saying even with the best law, if you try to abide by it, trying to find salvation in it, you won't. That's not where the spirit is. That's not where freedom is. So even if it's the Mosaic law or even your own law, the very things that you hold on to that has given you some success in life, what Paul is saying is even with that, you won't find true freedom. Freedom is not found uh, by following following the law, by following, the spirit, by following uh, your heart. Freedom is found, what, what Paul is saying, is follow the Spirit. So tell your neighbor, follow the Spirit. This is where freedom is found. And this will go against the nature of what you think freedom is. But if you want, again, love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, if you want that, then listen to what Paul says. What does it mean to follow the Spirit? One, you're led by the Spirit. It's fairly obvious, but you're led by the Spirit. Seven times in verses 16 to 26, it talks about the Spirit, capital S, Spirit. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 17, the, de- the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the, de- and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Verse 18, you are led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. 
Verse 25, we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul's making evidently clear this fruit, this freedom is not found in yourself. That you can't work your way to freedom, you can't think your way to freedom. This is not of you. So seven times over and over and over, explicitly mentions the spirit is where you find freedom. And it's simple. But the question then is, well, are you led by the spirit or do you lead your own life? Do you lead your own life? Do the things that you want to do and give, give God some of your life? Or do you allow the spirit to lead? Either the Spirit is leading you, or you are leading yourself. Either way, you have to choose. And sometimes it's obvious that we're not letting the Spirit lead. So if you go back to that verse of verse 19, the works of the flesh, I mean, sometimes it's painfully obvious that you're not allowing the Spirit to lead. And so, if you struggle with sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, if you struggle with idolatry and sorcery, heads up, if you didn't know, you're not allowing the Spirit to lead. Drunkenness, not just drinking and getting drunk maybe once in a while, but it's a pattern of life. Orgies. In all these ways, it's painfully obvious that many times that you don't allow the Spirit to lead. But this might be not all of you. So you're thinking, okay, I'm in, I'm in great shape. I allow the Spirit to lead. But sandwiched in between all the sexual struggles and all the drunkenness struggles, the list is enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalry, dissension, dis, uh, divisions, envy. When's the last time you were the cause of that? Chances are this past week. And then you start to realize sometimes it's painfully obvious when you fall, when you are out of step with the Spirit. Other times, you have no idea. And what Paul shows us here is that it's so, so easy to not let the Spirit lead. It's so, so easy to think that you're allowing the Spirit to lead, but the next thing you know, you are leading your own life. And so he says, if we live by the Spirit, and it seems so redundant, doesn't it, in verse 25? If we live by the Spirit, we keep in step with the Spirit. It seems so obvious. When you think about what he's saying, you start to recognize what he really means. You have to allow the Spirit to lead in all aspects of your life, at all times of your life. Because what happens when you miss a step? You trip. Right? You ever try to walk without using one leg? It doesn't work. One misstep, you fall. And that's what Paul is saying. One misstep. You don't see one little stone, and you, have, and you what? You fall. It's so easy to fall. So it's so easy to spiritually trip. But another way to think about it is it's so easy to get lost. Right? The idea is if you're walking with somebody, and this friend knows where you need to go, and so you're walking through the streets of soul. As you walk through the streets of soul and you're talking, maybe you start 
you know, just sharing about whatever is going on, and that friend takes a turn. But you don't know. So you just keep on talking, and you look back, you're like, where do you go? And that's us. On Sunday, we hear the word, we get moved, we're allowing the Spirit to lead and to work. We finish, we walk out those doors, the Spirit's going this way, and you start going this way. You're just on your phone. And the idea is, in all aspects of your life, at all times, learning to allow God to be God and allowing to see your, see, your, uh, see your world in light of God's sovereignty and his goodness. And what he is saying is you just need a moment to trip spiritually. All you need is one misstep. And the idea is learn, not just on Sundays, but learn to walk in step with the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead. It's a posture, right? Allowing God to direct your life, allowing God to do his work, seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness in all aspects of life. And this is hard. And that's why he says, let the Spirit lead, keep in step, every step, let him lead. You are led by the Spirit, and two, there's a lifestyle now of diligent obedience, a lifestyle of diligent obedience. After this list of works of the flesh in verse uh, 21, it says, Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The idea is those who practice this regularly. It's not a one-time thing. It's not relapsing. It's a lifestyle of this. What's the counter? It's a lifestyle of obedience. It's, you do this regularly. You may, you may have missteps. You may fall, but that's your gen, general trajectory. And that's what he's talking about. But what I find so interesting is he doesn't contrast works of the flesh with works of the Spirit. He contrasts works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because we can do the works of the Spirit, but not actually be abiding by the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit. You can do all the religious things, going to church, doing a small group, reading the Word, but not actually allowing God to actually work in your heart and in your life. So he actually clarifies there's works of the flesh. And yes, there's works of the Spirit, but by doing those things, you may not really know or really allow God to work. So what he contrasts the works of the flesh with is now the fruit of the Spirit. So now you can start asking yourself, am I allowing God to do that work? Are you allowing God to work in such a way where you bear the fruit of love? of joy, of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It's a lifestyle of diligent, faithful, daily obedience. You may misstep, but in general, you walk in this direction. It's also then a promise, is it not? If you have the Spirit... If you walk in step with the Spirit, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to happen. And that's a great promise. Though you misstep, you'll still get back up and you'll still walk in that direction. When you're walking, you see, don't see the Spirit next to you, you'll turn. Because the idea is you're always walking in that direction. We don't live a perfect life, but we walk with the Spirit. This means even in our downtime. 
the things that you read. That's now what Paul is talking about. This is not law. You're trying to sense the Holy Spirit in your life and in, in what he's doing. The friendships that we make, the books that we read. It's the diligent practice of the means of grace. Reading the word, prayer, Sunday gatherings, worship together, communion, and all these ways. What Paul is saying is it's these ordinary things. The little things that you do that you feel like makes no difference in your life, it's that ordinary step in, in, walking in step with the Spirit that over time you see the work of God. You're led by the Spirit. There's this lifestyle of diligent obedience. Three, leave the nails in. What do I mean, leave the nails in? In Galatians 2.20, it's the gospel. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life now, the, and in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the idea of when you put your faith in Christ, you're now united with Christ. So it's in his death, your sin, your flesh dies. That's the gospel. And as he comes back to life, as he resurrects, that is the new life given to you. This, in Galatians 2, 2.20, it's about God doing a work in you. In this passage of Galatians 5.24, when it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, it's now us, we, who are in the, 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 the chair of action. Where before, it's Christ that did that work in us as we believe and what Paul is saying here is as you walk in the Spirit, as, as the Spirit leads, you now have to walk. You are actively nailing the sin on the cross. This is how John Brown says it. Crucifixion produced death, not suddenly but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying it, that is the flesh, while here below, but they have fixed it to the cross, and they have determined to keep it there till it expire. There's something about old writing that just hits home a little bit different. You leave it there till it expires. Here's how John Stott says it. We have crucified the flesh in your decision of following Christ. You have crucified the flesh. And what we are actively doing now is we're never going to draw the nails. We're going to leave it there. And as Paul writes, there's this battle within, and you're choosing now, because of the gospel, because of who you are in Christ, not to gain salvation, but in response to him, live this life. What does it mean to crucify the flesh? It was a painful and hard decision to nail the flesh to the cross, because it's this opposing desire, this desire that you have, you've put it there. And as you've, as you've come to Christ and followed him, you've nailed it there. But even still today, you leave it in. You trust that the way to love, to joy, to peace is not through these works of the flesh. It's through him. And then lastly, let it grow. Not let it go. Because that's your flesh in you that you want to let go. But no, there's something other that had to come in, and that is Christ and his spirit. So it's this alien desire that you now have. And you know it's good because you want to follow it. You want to love. You want to forgive. It's this alien nature given to you. 
but it's different than before, before when you, when you weren't a believer. Because before you had that desire, but now it's war. It's battle. And this is why, as a believer, sometimes you feel like you are emotionally up and down, back and forth. Because you want to follow the Lord so much, but you struggle so deeply in your sin. What Paul is saying is this is the Christian life. You have crucified the flesh. Leave it there. And now let God and his spirit grow the fruit of the spirit in you. You know, isn't it interesting that the fruit of the spirit, of all the letters that Paul has written, it's in this letter that talks about the fruit of the spirit. I find that fascinating. Because what that shows me is these, 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 the fruit or the virtues or the characteristics, it's not independent emotion. It's not simply, okay, I'm going to calm my heart. Okay, just pray for love. Just pray for people. Just breathe. No. This, 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 the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the letter that it's written in, is the one letter where he talks about the gospel. Can you get the gospel? Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand what Christ has done? Do you understand that you're free from the power of sin? Do you understand that you're free from the condemnation of sin? Do you know that? If you know that, then you will have the fruit of the Spirit, and it will grow slowly. The more you know Jesus, and the more that you know what he has done, it's that love the fruit of the Spirit that continues to grow. And so just three really quick thoughts about the fruit. Why, is he, why does he call it fruit and not virtue? Because fruit is a byproduct of life. Fruit is a byproduct of life. Growing up, we had a lawn. I would have to mow it weekly. Hated it so much. And as I would mow the grass... There would be patches where the, the grass had died for some reason. So one day, being the good boy that I am, as I cut the grass, mow the, mow the lawn, right, I thought, okay, I'm going to cover up these patches. So I take the cut grass, and I cover it up, thinking, okay, this is going to co- completely cover up all the dead spots. What, what happens in a week, in a couple of weeks? It starts to yellow. It starts to die. Why? Because fruit dies. Fruit in and of itself does not have a life-sustaining force. Fruit is a byproduct of life. And so if you simply just try to add on love, add on joy, add on peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of it, if you just simply try to add it on, what do you do? You're good for a little bit, but that fruit will die because it has to be attached to a source of life. And that's why it's in this book, when you know Christ and who he is, the Spirit's main work is to make Christ known to you and that Christ would dwell in your heart and in your life. See, fruit cannot be sustained by itself. Fruit dies. Fruit is a byproduct of life. And that fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, is not independent emotions. It's a deep It's a result of deep, abiding relationship with Christ. Fruit is a byproduct. Fruit grows as one. If you ever get an apple, and one side of it is bigger, if this is an apple, and it's like this, 
There's a growth on it. But do you know, don't eat that apple. Because it grows as one. It's obvious, right? If the, if the skin grows first, the seed grows gigantic, and everything else is deformed, you recognize that's wrong. Do you notice that this is the fruit of the Spirit and not fruits of the Spirit? The idea is, how would you describe an apple? An apple is crispy. An apple is maybe sweet and sour, right? But it's all one fruit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's all one. Love. It all grows together. Peace, patience. It all grows together. When you know God and who He is, it all grows together. And lastly, fruit grows slowly but surely. When I would cut the grass, there was this one sidewalk, a piece of sidewalk, where it was completely broken. At one point, it was intact. But there's this gigantic tree that that was in front of our house. And over the years, that little seed that was a tree grew and grew and grew. And one day became a force stronger than cement. The fruit that God is trying to bear in your life will grow slowly. What he's saying is, trust me. Abide in me. Know me. Walk. And what you will find is maybe not in a year, maybe in five years, maybe in ten years, what you will see is as you continue to abide, you will see that fruit. And once, once you know that fruit, in that moment when you don't get angry, you realize, oh, I'm free. I'm free. I didn't respond to him like I used to, like, like I would have before, because before you were still struggling, but now you are free. And Paul is saying is it's a fruit. It grows slowly but surely. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.